You are Locked On Boston College, your daily podcast on the Boston College Eagles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Boston College. This is your host, AJ Black. Today, we're going to jump in for the first time in this podcast into basketball. We're going to look in our first segment at the schedule, which was released by Boston College and the ACC on Tuesday. We're going to look at where the strengths are, where there's some challenges, and why did Boston College create a schedule so difficult? We're going to look at that. In the second segment, we're going to jump in and start to look at football. We're going to, Of course, we're going to jump right back into football. It's Holy War Week. So we're going to talk about the history of the Holy War, where Boston College and Notre Dame land, and get into uh, the, the nitty-gritty of one of the BC's most uh, hated rivals. And in the final uh, segment, we're going to be joined by Irish Breakdown, uh, SI, uh, SI's... Notre Dame site. They're going to be doing their podcast, which I'm going to join, and they're going to hop on to ours to talk about Notre Dame and look at what their season has been like. They're going to talk about Ian Book, maybe a little bit about Phil Dracovic and why he left, and we're going to really jump into that. But before we get into our first topic today, I want to invite you all to do one thing for me. If you have not done so already, if you're listening to this on the Lockdown website, if you're on my site, bcbulletin.com, if you're not, check it out. Make sure that you find your favorite podcast directory and subscribe to Locked On Boston College. And if you're on Apple and iTunes, give us a five-star review and say AJ is great. It really helps find new Boston College fans to give them another option for a podcast. So if you haven't done that already, please do. So men's basketball got their schedule today, and it's a doozy. First of all, I think we all knew what their out-of-conference schedule is going to look like. They're going to have seven games out-of-conference. And you look at who they have, and you wonder where the wins are going to come from. Because they start off in the Empire Classic on uh, November 20, uh, 25th at Mohegan Sun. And they're going to face off with number 3 Villanova. And then, if they win that game, they face, or whatever happens, they're going to face either Arizona State or Baylor. So the number 18 school in the country, Arizona State, or the number two school, Baylor. Now, right around now, Boston College is in the 100s, if you want to know where their ranking would be. So they, they start off with a murderer's row. You know, this is a this was supposed to be a tournament for four of like the big contenders, because Michigan was supposed to be one of the other schools, and I believe UConn was supposed to be in there too. So <laughs> I don't know how Boston College got landed in that, but, you know... It, this is going to be a tough start for them to start the year uh, just with those two schools. It reminds me of 2015 when um, it was 2015 with Steve Donahue and he started the year off, I believe with Michigan state and it was with a younger team. It just was not a good way to start the year. So we'll have to see how they go with uh, start with that, but it doesn't get any easier. It just continues that way. They have St. John's after that, which, you know, St. John's was a 500 school, but so was BC. BC wasn't a 500 school, so they're going to be a challenge. Uh, they're a former Big East foe. They're going to face them at again at Mohegan Sun on November 30th. Then they face off with their uh, local A10 rivals, the Rhode Island Rams. 
a team that is a borderline top 25 team. And if you don't really follow college basketball, Rhode Island is a program, that, a local program that has played exceptionally well over the last decade. Uh, they've had, they had um, Bobby, uh, Dan Hurley, excuse me, who's now the coach of UConn, really bring that program up and you know produce some really good talent and get them to the, to the tournament. They've been in the tournament way more recently than BC has. Um, and then uh, Hurley left, and now they're up to David Cox, who's their new coach, and he's doing well too. So that's going to be a challenge. That one will be actually at Conti Forum. But just like football, there will be no fans at those games. BC then also faces off with Cal, a team they lost to last year. They faced them on December 22nd. And then BC also gets a game against Minnesota uh, in the Big Ten A10, uh, Big Ten ACC champion uh, challenge. Excuse me, uh, another decent team. It's going to be a battle between two coaches that are on the hot seat between Richard Pitino and Jim Christian. So that'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, so that's their out of conference schedule. They have one more game, and it's probably going to be at Mohegan Sun as well. Again, Mohegan you cannot go to. It's just like all the other games. Um, and that that I've heard rumors that the team they're going to face is Missouri. Uh, Missouri is not a very good school, so that's good. Um, you know, I know that I, I'm not into the in and outs of the smaller leagues. It's kind of a bummer that they're playing all of these good schools this year um, because I don't know if the team's going to be that good to take on a team like Villanova. Uh, but we'll see. You know, you, you know this is a, a young team that has some uh, interesting parts with them. Uh, so we'll look at that. But on top of the out-of-conference schedule, so we have one more game that they need to figure out. But on top of that, they also put out their conference schedule. And I think, honestly, it kind of lines up pretty well for BC. First of all, they get UNC at home, That's and that's the only time they have to play UNC. They also have Duke at home. I mean, sorry, Duke on the road, but they only play them once, and Virginia at home. So three of the biggest schools in the ACC and, and some of the, you know, the perennial um, powerhouses, they only have to face them once. However, you know, it's the ACC, so you could, you could, you could, uh, uh, you know, land with just one of them, but you're going to also get two games against Florida State, who's the ACC champions. You get two games against Louisville. You get two games against Syracuse. Uh, you get one against Pitt. You get one against Georgia Tech. So you get some easy hits. You get some hard ones. You know, it all washes out, but I don't know where Boston College is going to land because I, you know, we've looked at it on the site. There's so many question marks with this team, and I don't know where the scoring is going to come from. If you're going, if you're listening at home and you're saying, "Oh, you know, Winston Tabs is going to come back and he's going to be this prolific scorer," he definitely could be, and it it would be a huge boost for that program to get a guy like Tabs who could put in 20 points a game, but. I think it's also fair to say that it's going to take him a little while to get into game speed. And he's going to have to play Villanova in his first game back. So who knows what he's going to be able to do. And then on top of that, I always I look at that center position for BC basketball, and I still have no idea who's going to be playing that. Um, Andre Adams, who was lost for the year with an Achilles tear, I thought he would have been perfect, you know, a banger down low that could be really physical and get those rebounds, you know, game in and game out. But they lost him, and um, I don't know if the BC is going to go with CJ Felder or they're going to. They're still waiting on that um, waiver for James Carnick, the center from Lehigh. I don't know if he's going to be the answer, but you look at the schedule, you look at a Boston College team that on paper still seems kind of like a middling around the middle of the pack type squad. 
And you just think this schedule is not built for a team like this. You know, back in the day when you had a team like Jared Dudley or Craig Smith or even some of the later ones with like Reggie Jackson, you know, you would welcome the challenges like this. I don't know if this team is ready to jump out of the gate and play two top five teams in the first two games. That's that to me seems like a recipe for disaster. And, I, you know, this team needs every role they can get this year. Um, you know, Jim Christian, I feel, got a little lucky ha- getting his uh, job back after, you know, a, a pretty lackluster 2019-2020 season. So, you know, scheduling like this is not doing him any favors. I don't know what, you know, I know there's certain leagues, like the Patriot League is only playing themselves. You know, they're all like, they're all, they all have their own little rules, so it's tricky, but I, I don't know. I just think this is this is setting BC up to go out of conference, get whooped quite a few times, and then head into conference to play again like another Razor's row of tough opponents. So that's gonna be tr- this is gonna be a tough year. Um, but they've got some challenge. They got some talented players on that team, and if they can step up, I feel like we can chill. And you know what helps me chill? Coors Light. Coors Light is the beer for just watching sports, any sport. You know, if you're having a tough day and you need to unplug and you've been online and, you know, answering tons of emails and it's just your brain is just going, I just need a break. I need to chill. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. And, you know, even if your team isn't playing, you know, it's the middle of the week. There isn't a lot of sports. Baseball's over. Basketball's over. Still plenty of teams and sports on TV that can give you an excuse to chill and drink a beer. Maybe you want a Maxion Coors Light. You know, there's Maxion football coming up tonight. It doesn't matter what sport's playing. Grab a Coors Light. It's the official beer of watching any sport. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport just to drink beer. And Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you need to hit reset... Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Again, it's get Coors Light and the new delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Locked On Boston College. I'm your host, AJ Black. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Black underscore BC. We are talking now enough basketball talk for now. We're going to to go back and start talking about football again. It is such a huge week for Boston College football as they take on number two, Notre Dame, in the next installment of the Holy War. Now, if you've been a fan of Boston College, you don't need to be told what the Holy War means as a fan. You can look back at the, the history of this game and look at some of those big moments that have come up and, and really feel what that you know, this this rivalry means. So there's some big moments. So look at them. 1993. Florida State comes in as number one against Notre Dame. They lose to Notre Dame in a huge game that gives Notre Dame the edge to get into the national title game. All they have to do is beat a top 25 Boston College team at home. BC jumps out to a huge lead against Notre Dame. Notre Dame roars back. BC has a chance to win the game and knock off undefeated Notre Dame with uh, seconds remaining, and David Gordon hits a long field goal to win it. They ruin Notre Dame's chances for a national title, and the 
that's the rivalry really jumps to that next level. The rivalry continues, though. There's much more to this. You can just go to 2002. Boston College goes to Notre Dame again, and they beat a ranked Notre Dame team. And I think it was Tony Gonzalez with the big touchdown catch at the end to win it for the Eagles. They beat Notre Dame again in 2008. But that's when the the tides turn. I think it was 2009 is the game where everyone remembers. It's all going around Twitter right now. Richie Gannell, Boston College wide receiver, he gets right in the face of Notre Dame quarterback Jimmy Clausen after a very, very tough game. And he basically, he dressed down the Notre Dame quarterback. Fortunately, the Irish won that game. But it was one of those moments where Boston College again showed, we're not putting up with your crap. And that was a big moment. But Boston College has not beaten Notre Dame since 2008. They've lost six in a row, including three in the last few years. You can go back to 2015 when the two played in Fenway Park. It was a year where Boston College football was awful. That was the year where they didn't have an offense. And BC held their own against a good Notre Dame team. And Notre Dame still won 1916. In, in a year, I think BC won three games that year. It was a big moment, but BC still fell short. The last two moments under Steve Adazio haven't even been close. They played at um, BC, They played at Chestnut Hill and lost 47 to 20 in the last couple of years. And then last year they got blown out 40 to seven in a game where BC was kind of in it for a while. And then Notre Dame just turned on the turbo jets and just blew them out of the game. Uh, in a game where, uh, at the end, Ian Book sat down and a young quarterback named Phil Dracovic came in and scored a touchdown against the Eagles. So there's that history here. You know, two Catholic schools, you know, Frank Leahy. There's all these, you know, subplots that go in between these two schools. But right now... We're at two schools that are in completely different stratospheres in terms of where they are in the college football world. You've got Notre Dame, a school that is just, you know, they're a playoff school. They've, you know, been to the national title game. They have all those championships. They got Rudy. They got Joe Montana. They got everything. And you got Boston College, who since 2008 has been on a steady, you know, slow decline into the middle to bottom of the pack of the college football world. Now, this is the year where things could change. Notre Dame, again, they, they're coming off a huge high. They battled and battled the Clemson Tigers into double overtime, and they beat them. They won the first game against the Tigers in a regular season matchup in 39 games. That is huge. What happens after a game like that? A huge letdown. There, there's always you. You expend so much energy in a big game like that that it's inevitable that they come down the next game. You cannot keep up that intensity. And when you play a team like Boston College, who is just chomping at the bit for a win like that, with a quarterback who is, he's not going to tell you, but he's pissed off at a program that never gave him a chance. You have to look at this game and go, ooh. This is lining up really nicely for the Eagles. Now, we're going to talk about what things are still a major uh, hurdle for the for BC because this is not like cut in stone. BC is going to you know, jump out and beat Notre Dame. But there are a lot of things that go into it. And the other piece, 
So you have you have Phil Jakovic. You have this quarterback. He leads the ACC in passing. He's playing out of his mind this year in his first chance of starting at a new school. You have him playing. And then you add in this other piece into the soup. It's the red bandana game. If you're a Boston College fan, you know exactly what that means. You remember where you were in 2014 when they put on those red bandanas and those red bandana um, uniforms and they beat USC at home. A top 10 team, Steve Adazio's only top 25 win as a coach at BC. One of the most memorable wins in Boston College in recent memory. You remember seeing Wells Crowther's family there. You saw Jefferson and his wife talking about how emotional that was. And then after that, you saw Boston College do it again against Florida State and against Miami. These uniforms bring out something in Boston College. The players said so today. Marcus Valdez says that when we, when we put on those uniforms, something special comes out of us. And what a better time would it be to wear those you know, those special uniforms that mean so much to the team than against Notre Dame, against the number two school in the country, and against your hated rivals. So it, it, everything is lining up for this to be an amazing game. This, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say yet that I think that BC is gonna beat them because I'll give you my predictions later. However, I think this is gonna easily be a much more competitive game than we saw last year when they lost forty to seven. Boston College has so much more going for them, and as long as they get that offense going against a very strong defense. I think BC will be in this game. And maybe, you know, Mark Herzlick said on the ACC Network today, I he said, I think BC is going to beat Notre Dame. I don't know if I'm there yet, but we're going to find out. Next, we are going to talk to Vince Daddario of Irish Breakdown of Sports Illustrated about Notre Dame season and see what he thinks are the strengths and weaknesses of their team's program. Locked on Boston College, this is AJ Black. I am with Vince D'Addario of Irish Breakdown. You can follow him at Coach D'Addario on Twitter. Vince, how's it going? Thanks for joining me today. It's going great, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Great. So we're looking at Boston College and Notre Dame, and it's coming off of a big week for the Irish. Obviously, they had that big national game on Saturday night where they defeated Clemson in double overtime. Now, Vince, tell me, we're looking at this game from an outsider's perspective. From Notre Dame's perspective, what did that game mean for Brian Kelly and the program? Oh, I mean, all the talk leading into that game was was all about can Brian Kelly, can Ian Book, the quarterback, can they win the big game? They, I, I want to say that Notre Dame's 0-10 against top 10 teams uh, the past 10 times that they've played them. So uh, can they win the big game? And they they proved on Saturday night that they can. And, and look, no one's been more critical of Ian Book uh, or Brian Kelly uh, for not being able to win the game, big game than, than I have. And, and I said going in, the best thing that could possibly happen in this game, obviously a victory, but for Ian Book to take that team down at the end, uh, what, you know, whether it would be a field goal drive or a touchdown drive, and he took that team 91 yards uh, you know, to finish off the, uh, the regulation, to send it into overtime. I mean, that was – that was a huge, huge monkey off the back uh, of Ian Book and of Brian Kelly. There is no question. It was, it was a program-changing win because Brian Kelly has taken Notre Dame to the you beat who you're supposed to beat, uh, mm-hmm. but they hadn't gotten to the point where they can beat those top five teams yet. Yeah, and I, th- I thought this was a game that really showed where Notre Dame progressed because 
you know, watching from uh, the sideline, you see, you see Notre Dame as a team that beat, you know, Louisville, like 12 to seven in a game that was really ugly to watch. Yes. And you see them all of a sudden clicking on all cylinders. Now, Vince, what did you see? What is from, from an out, from an insider's perspective, what has Notre Dame changed in terms of their offense, their defense that has changed them from, you know, a team that can barely beat a team like Louisville, who's not that good this year to a team that can beat Clemson, who's, you know, a generational program. Well, I think you nailed it. Uh, a lot of players were, were hitting on all cylinders. For example, Shane Simon, he, he plays the buck linebacker position for Notre Dame, you know, Brian Driscoll, who, who we work with over at Irish breakdown. We talk all the time about how Notre Dame's got the best 10 guy, 10 man defense, uh, in the country because Shane Simon hasn't been pulling his weight at Buck linebacker. He played the best game of his life uh, against Clemson. I mean, he was all over the place. I think he doubled his tackle total on the season in one game. Um, you know, so he played excellent. Ian book started actually taking shots down the field. And that's been the biggest thing that we've knocked him on is he's been called captain Checkdown. You know, he's taken all those short, 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 and there's been guys open down the field. He just hasn't had the confidence to take those shots. Uh, the wide receivers finally making plays for Ian book. He had confidence in his guys, but those guys return that favor by, you know, Ben Skoranek, uh going up, winning some 50, 50 balls. Uh, same with, uh, um, with Mc- Javon McKinley, he finally living up to that five-star, you know, recruit ranking, you know, making two big plays down the field. Avery Davis who's a converted uh, quarterback. He, he's jumped from quarterback to running back to, uh, corner now wide receiver makes that big 53 yard catch down the field in man-to-man coverage so guys stepped up who haven't stepped up in the past um and they definitely did not do that during the louisville game yeah so you know you mentioned the wide receivers and I- i'm a big fan of watching tight ends i i think hunter long obviously for boston college is a lot of fun and one player on that, that offense caught my attention. That was Michael, Michael Mayer. Is that yes. His name? Oh yeah. Two freshmen. Yeah. He, you know, they were calling him on the, the pot of uh, the telecast, the baby Gronk. Right. What did he, you know, number 87, he's got the same number. He's a big dude. What does he, you know, I was going to ask you about Ian book. I want to talk about Michael Mayer. <laughs> what, what kind of player is he? What kind of, you know, what, what kind of weapon is he as a true freshman? What has he brought to Notre Dame's offense? Well, you know, again, a true freshman, he's 6'5", 230. I mean, you, you see him, he doesn't look like an 18, 19-year-old kid. I mean, he does not look like a true freshman. And he plays with a physicality that you don't normally see from a kid just, you know, leaving high school. Uh, there, there was a play earlier on in the season, you know, he, he caught the ball uh, in a tight window, turned it upfield, and just ran over like three guys. I think there was a guy on his back. I mean, just making plays just with his size is just so impressive. And then he battles blocking too. And, and you would expect, okay, a kid could come in from, from high school, catch the ball. I mean, that's not that big of a deal, but he battles when he blocks too. Um, and, and, you know, it's a two-headed monster at tight end for Notre Dame, Tommy Tremble and Michael Mayer. Tommy Tremble is one of the best blocking tight ends I've ever seen. He takes pride in his blocking and then, but he can also stretch the field. He's faster than Michael Mayer. He can stretch the field over the top. And, and if your safeties are napping, he'll go over the top and, and, and really take the top off of the defense. Uh, but Michael Mayer, man, he is just fun to watch. There's no two ways about it. And, you know, again, talk about that, that offense. I was, you know, you mentioned the physic, uh, you know, you mentioned those wide receivers. I was impressed with the physicality of those players. 
you know, they're bigger wide receivers. They're, you know, they're bulkier than what you expect out of a, a typical wide receiver. What makes them so dangerous? What do they bring that, you know, especially in a game like against Clemson that really made them so dangerous? Well, uh, one thing that you can say about the wide receivers is they've always uh, been good at blocking. They, they have, they've held their own on the outside. And a lot of what, you know, Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree in the backfield, they, they can, uh, you know, attribute some of their outside yardage to those wide receivers. They, they just, they take pride in what they can do blocking. Javon McKinley is one of the best wide receiver blockers uh, that we've seen at Notre Dame. No question about it. Ben Skoranek battles when he blocks um, th- those guys look for people to block downfield too. And that is not the normal thing you see from a wide receiver. And, and I think their confidence in, in the run game, believe it or not, gives them confidence in the pass game. Now that Ian book, at least for one game, has proven that he trusts those guys and he's willing to put the ball into some tight windows and expects those guys to come down with it. And my final question for you, we're going to keep this kind of short, you know, watching Notre Dame, the big thing that stood out for me was the play of their defense, you know, not just the Clemson game. They made some plays obviously in double overtime, those plays against uh, DJ were huge, but throughout the season, this defense has played exceptionally well. They're easily the best defense in, in the ACC. You know, what has stood out for you in terms of the play, the secondary, the play of the, the front seven? What have you seen out of the, out of the defense so far that really has, play, you know, made them a championship contender? Well, we, we compared this team to the 2012 Notre Dame team that went undefeated in the regular season and then got their doors blown off by Alabama in the championship game. You know, both had really good defenses. And, and, I, and we also compared to the 2018 uh, Notre Dame defense. The difference is those were really good defenses as a unit, this is a good defense as a unit, but they've also got some generational players as well. Uh, Kyle Hamilton is a sophomore uh, starting safety. The plays that he's able to make, they showed some of it in the game against uh, against Clemson. He would come from his safety position and fill the hole and stop, the, stop Travis Etienne, one of the best running backs in the country, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's how fast he can close. And then you got Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. He's a linebacker. He called a rover in the Notre Dame defense. Uh, you know, the play that he made against Travis Etienne as well, where he basically intercepted that toss and took it in for a touchdown, um, you know, and, and Travis Etienne fumbled that because Jeremiah Wusakoromo was already in his face when he was getting the ball. So the speed of those guys, the speed of this defense overall, and Brian Kelly talked about he hasn't had a defense with, they, they arrive at the football as a unit and just faster than any defense he's ever had before and you can see it I mean they, they gang tackle uh, they hit hard they get to the they get to the ball fast and and that's what this defense has lacked in the past just overall team speed all right so that just kind of wraps up we're, we're just getting a brief inter, uh, introduction to what Notre Dame is going to bring uh, to Boston College on Saturday uh, Vince Dario thank you for joining us uh, you can call, follow uh, Vince at coach Dario on Twitter He writes for Irish Breakdown, also part of the Sports Illustrated Network, just like BC Bulletin. Uh, This is AJ Block. We're going to wrap up our our, uh, show today. You can follow me on Twitter at AJ Black underscore BC. You can follow my site at Boston College SI. Vince, thanks for for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, AJ. All right, thanks.